You're listening to episode 62 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by pastor and writer Chris Nye. He joins me to talk about writing as a pastor and how those two vocations interact together. If you love episodes on writing, this is definitely one for you. On that note, one of the things Chris and I discuss are some of our favorite books on writing, the authors that have influenced us in thinking about being a writer, but also the craft. Recently, I was approved by Audible as an affiliate, which means I'm now allowed to offer you a special link for one free audiobook as a part of a trial with Audible. Um, It also gives me a little bit of payment from Audible, which helps fund the podcast, so it really is a win-win. You can download any one of Audible's books for free by going to audibletrial.com slash pastorwriter. If you're interested in craft books on writing, Audible has some of my favorite books, books like Dreyer's English, Stein on Writing, Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird, and one of the books that comes up in my conversation with Chris today, The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. Once again, feel free, go sign up for the trial, audibletrial.com slash pastorwriter. And if you do, I really appreciate it because it's an easy way for you to be able to help support the podcast and make it a little more financially viable for me as the producer. As always, thanks for listening, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, joining me on the podcast today is Chris Nye. He's a pastor for teaching and leadership development at Awakening Church in San Francisco Bay Area. And he's also a writer, with his work having appeared in the Washington Post, Christianity Today, and Relevant Magazine. His first book, Distant God, explores the presence and absence of God in daily life. And his second book, Less of More, Pursuing Spiritual Abundance in a World of Never Enough, is set to release this month with Baker Books. Uh, Chris, it's a privilege to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chase. Well, uh, I think a good place to start is uh, you are sort of the epitome of the show here, a pastor and a writer, so I always enjoy getting to have those conversations. So maybe you could uh, start by giving us a little context, the church you pastor, uh, what that looks like in your role there. Yeah, so as you said, I work at Awakening Church here in the Silicon Valley. We're a a six-and-a-half-year-old church plant. I've been here um, a little over a year, um, so not too long at Awakening, but been in the Bay Area for um, three years or a little bit more than that. Awakening, yeah, church plant, really young church. It was planted out of a college ministry that was a part of kind of a mega church out here. And so really young, uh, I think we're 65% under 30, um, mostly kind of single people, college students, young professionals working in the tech industry. That's a lot of our demographics. So we have a really diverse congregation because people come from all over the world to work in tech here. Um, We have people of all nations and accents and colors. So it's a really beautiful, young, vibrant, and multi-ethnic church. I love pastoring this church and um my wife and i really enjoy the bay area the the only problem is the rent is just ridiculous (laughs) but but we uh we bear that burden (laughs) well tell me a little bit too about how your path into pastoral ministry how you ended up being a pastor too young i was um, i was uh started as a as an intern at a church i didn't i didn't really grow up in the church necessarily grew up in kind of an agnostic house went to catholic school so my original image of ministry was the priesthood but i was always um i was always fascinated by those priests i was surrounded mostly by jesuits which is a particular kind of priest and um those guys i think actually formed the earliest thought in me of a reflective pastoral life um but man, I didn't want to be a priest. Um, so when I became a Christian, 
uh, I had some amazing youth pastors, young adult leaders in my life that saw that gift in me. I definitely didn't really recognize it myself as most of us go through and they just pointed it out you know they they just were were encouraging me to start trying to teach start trying to lead put me in leadership positions mentored me and those guys really throughout late high school early college were the ones that provided a path as an intern and then um got ordained um pretty pretty young in in just a non-denominational um church when i was about 20 or 21. And so I'm 31 now. I've been a pastor for a decade, basically. And um, my path in was definitely through just, you know, leaders in my life, men and women, really faithful, incredible people that were like showing me the path of what it would mean to be a pastor. Well, the other piece of this for for our conversation, this pastor writer piece is the writing. And I'm curious where in that process did writing as an interest evolve? And how did that come about for you? That was that was before the pastorate for sure, before the vision of pastoral ministry. Um, I've always been a writer. I was I was thinking that somebody asked me this question um, in another interview, and I I, I re- I'm definitely a, a writer before a pastor. I mean, I was writing. I was that kid in like third and fourth grade. We were like making our own books, you know, writing stuff and uh, making you know comic books and things like that. My brother is a writer, and so him and I would write stuff all the time. Um, and I just always inclined towards that through school. Um, always liked English class, enjoyed history, never really um, complained about writing papers. And then, kind of simultaneously to this, like I said, I was I was Catholic educated, and actually. The Catholics have a pretty large emphasis on the humanities, and so there was always poetry and novels. And they, you know, they hand you probably some 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 books a little too early, <laughs> like then you should. But I loved that. I developed a great love for for writing and for words. So I was the kid who was like, I wrote for the high school paper. I was involved in like the literary magazines that we would produce in high school. And then in college wrote for the papers, wrote for the magazines. Um, and then really like the pastoring, when that started to come up, I realized, oh, writing a sermon every week is kind of producing a, a, a piece of writing every week, you know? And then in addition to that, I got to find out, oh yeah, there's all these books written by pastors and um, so that was a wonderful compliment, and I, I really feel like that has been the great encouragement through pastoral ministry has been the ability to continue to write and process by writing. Yeah, I always find that I think pastors are in a great position because even even if you're not sitting down, which I I do, I sit down and actually uh, transcript my sermons. Um, oh, and yeah. so I don't always take the full transcript with me or go from the full, but every week I usually write the whole thing out as the discipline of sort of practice. But just the idea of refining a thought getting it, you know, put down somehow in notes or an outline form, clarifying it, editing yeah. that, that process week after week after week is is really an incredible blessing in ways for pastors to grow as writers and develop that skill. Yeah, I I kind of, I partial manuscript. I always uh, admire guys like yourself who can do the manuscript and then kind of, you know, pare it down or edit it live. I, I kind of do a partial manuscript and I, I often wish, you know, there's writers like Fleming Rutledge or um, Frederick Buchner who, who they just print their sermons into books. <laughs> I, I, <it's> like <laughs> Mine so are not cool. quite that refined. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I just think that's so cool. I wish I had, um, I wish I had more of that, like in hindsight, cause I, w- I was kind of taught to do the outline thing mm. and fill it in and, and everything like that. But still, I think the process, no matter what you do as a pastor to view it as, I'm going to produce a piece of writing every week or every time I'm up to preach. 
um, super helpful for the skill of writing. Yeah, I actually have this strange, so, um, it's a, it's, I write it all out. So all the words are there, but I actually don't do it in like paragraph form. Like I'll tend to sort of, it's almost yeah. an outline, but it's not, there's no, there's no like Roman numerals. It's just me making random indents, you know, as things kind of yeah. stack up in my brain. And then I have this strange color coding where, um, like my kind of main pointer ideas will be in one color and sub points will be kind of in a red color and anything I quote will be in a blue. So, um, yes. and it sounds way more complicated. Like sometimes I just color code things that don't make sense for any reason. It's just me trying to be able to look down quickly and catch where I was or to see it's not just a block of text. So I'm not up there just reading from a book kind of thing. So it is kind of as you're describing yeah. for me too. It's kind of an in-between. Yeah. My mentor was a color coder. And so he taught me that and I had to abandon it because I just got dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about this too, because it's a big jump from I'm enjoying writing. I'm mm. putting more writing attention into my sermons themselves. I've always, I, I think about writing maybe on blogging to I'm pursuing a, a published book, which you've done now. Um, two of them, a second one coming out, but that first book, um, what did that process look like for you? going down the path of seeking traditional publishing, writing a book, not just a sermon. What was that process like? I started writing for magazines. Um, I, well, I started blogging just because I really wanted to um, get some thoughts out there. So my first Christian writing was was in blogging. Like I said, I had done the magazines and the newspapers in college and high school and so um, I actually made a decision. I think it was like 2010. I made a decision to stop blogging. And the only thing I would do is write for publication because I kind of got tired of being my own publisher and being like, this idea is good. And it was only within myself. I had no community. I had no editors. I think it helped refine me You know, for years. I think 2006 to 2010, somewhere in there, I was just blogging. And I made this decision. I'm just going to write for and pitch to publications. So that's what got me on the path. I started, I think my first piece was in Relevant Magazine, and then I did something for Leadership Journal, which is now called Christianity Today Pastors. That's where I met the beauty of editors, and I longed for that relationship from there on out. I just really enjoy the relationship of, of writer to editor. And um, it was through that that I made some friendships that um, I started writing something a little bit longer and I was pitching it to a couple people as like a, a series of articles um, that I was pitching to some of the publications I was writing for at the time. And I showed it to my wife, actually, and my wife was like, I think this is your first book. So I went to um, a guy named Paul Pastor, incredible editor. He was at Christianity Today at the time. He's still a great editor all over the place. But um and I showed it to him and he was like, this can be a book. And he helped me craft it into a proposal and then was introduced um, to Moody Publishers through another friend. And um, then, yeah, just kind of pitched it around to a couple places. I went for the first round without an agent and then kind of midway through into that process with Moody, midway through, we were kind of dialing in the, the deal. I got introduced to an agent and then got into that. So it was kind of, you know, I think everybody takes the route differently, but that was my route in. Well, talk, give me the pitch too. So that gives us yeah. context for the first book, but the second book comes out, I know this month. So uh, maybe you could sort of give us a heads up on it and a chance to do the elevator pitch. Yeah. The book is called Less of More, Pursuing Spiritual Abundance in a World of Never Enough. And I guess if there's a common thread between my first book, Distant God, and then this one, it's it's a reflection on the last couple years of ministry for me. 
So Distant God was a reflection on years of youth ministry and young adults ministry of people really wrestling with what does it mean for God to be present in their lives, God feeling distant. This one, since I moved to the Bay Area in the last three plus years, uh, I've worked in the inner city of San Francisco for two years. And then I also worked out here in the Silicon Valley, like I said, for the last 14, 15 months. The disparity between the inner city of San Francisco and the Silicon Valley struck me. I mean, it, it's it's really rung my bell. I, I'm a, I come from Portland, Oregon. I'm a Northwest kid. I've never seen poverty the way I've seen poverty here, and I've never seen money the way I've seen money here. And that interests me as a pastor and as a theologian. And what started to go was beyond like a – I didn't want to write a book on possessions and money. There's amazing books about that by Brueggemann, by um, Randy Alcorn. So I don't, I don't want to write another book like that. What I started to see was a hunger for and a greed for accumulation. So I wanted to write a theology of accumulation, of growth, of expansion. So all these tech companies that want to take over the world, they started to sound like churches to me. <laughs> they started to sound like like modern 21st century churches of like we're going to grow the biggest thing, we're going to, you know, growth is all, always good. Um, you know, accumulation is always a good thing if we can get more people, more campuses, more staff, bigger budget, it's always a good thing. And I wanted to question that both in like the secular world of, of business and also in the church world of ministry. And so this book is about how do you receive the good news of Jesus and walk with Jesus out of the story of America, the American story of more and 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 growth? And how do you walk into kind of the biblical counter narrative to that, which is you know, a story of Jesus and a story of John the Baptist. He says, I must decrease um, if Jesus will increase. I must decrease. There's not an option. There's not a, uh, I'll kind of do a little increasing and then Jesus will. Andrew Murray, the great missionary, he said, um, if I am something, then God is not everything. And that's the heart of this book. Mm, yeah, that's really good. I'm curious how, um, uh, we talk about how this idea of constant growth, constant more can impact not just not just the church, but also, you know, businesses and businesses influencing the church that all of us seem to be caught up in. it. How do you think working through this has shaped you as a writer? Because I think that temptation yeah. can exist for more readers, you know, more purchases, Definitely. more influence. Um, we You can find yourself sort of obsessed. And I that, this shows up in some of my writing, too. It's a challenge. Um, OK, I don't want to write. I don't want in the way that I promote this book to make me someone who couldn't have written the book, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be so obsessed with more for the book that I undermine the idea of the book itself, which can be a huge temptation. So I'm curious how um, the message has maybe impacted you or shaped you as a writer as well. That, that's a great question. I, I think I'm still figuring that out. I think this time around, the first time around was just, you know, a little shell shock of all that goes into getting a book out there. And this one is... um. Yeah, I think that's been a really hard thing for me. The balance of, um, you know, who who reads this and why does it matter? So my last book did not sell incredibly well. I'm not a famous writer or anything like that. But I so enjoyed the personal emails I got from strangers, which were not many, but but the ones that I did get. And even even from those in my church or people that know me that read the book, that is, I've tried to focus towards that to encourage me. 
um, and really not look at the sales reports that you get quarterly as an author. Those can be for a guy like me who doesn't sell a ton of books. Those are not, you know, encouraging results all the time. And so I think I try to connect with readers. I, I you know, I, I'm, tr- I don't get that many, like I said, personal correspondence. So I think when they email me, I love to email them back. I love to, call them back. Somebody has, you know, stopped me somewhere and talked to me about how my, my book has helped them. So I, I, I'm trying to like zoom in on those personal relationships and personal interactions to help me counteract the hunger for, for more readership. Cause, um, yeah, man, that's an endless temptation. I think in writing, I hope to conquer it. Yeah. And it, it mixes with this idea. I mean, you alluded to this with the church too. Like it mixes with this idea of good because it is, it is good for more people to hear about Christ. It is good for more people to think through um, their materialism and consumerism. But real quickly, that that good turns into good for me, right? And yes. it, it starts distorting itself. Yes. Well, um, I'm curious, other surprises in that publishing process. So I think that's an interesting sort of line to, to, to discuss a little bit for, for you sort of acknowledging, uh, you know, sometimes the amount of numbers or influence or sales you might imagine don't pan out. Sometimes things like the personal correspondence become really valuable where maybe you didn't imagine those at the beginning. Other parts of that process of publishing that have been a surprise for you? The generosity. I think that the publishing world when I was getting into it was so scary and I was I was so convinced I wasn't going to get a book deal. I mean, I I was just I I I thought, yeah. I really had a image of a lot of number crunching and there is, you know, I mean, my second book went through several iterations. I pitched my agent several other books that he was like, yeah, it's not going to sell, you know, so there is that. But, but, um, I've been so warmed to the incredible generosity within the publishing community and within editors and writers who without them, I wouldn't have one book, let alone two books out that, People are down to read stuff. They're down to respond. They're, they're all, you know, there's, there's people, there's obviously, you know, like anything, right? There's good people and bad people in the mix. And I've just been fortunate to be involved with some great people who are free to give some thoughts and some, um, man, some introductions that have been made on my behalf has been just incredible. And so that, that's been a really, um, I think surprising piece about the publishing process. I think, I think the other thing is I really like every stage of the process. That's also been surprising. Um, maybe this one I'm in right now is hard. The promotion piece. I love doing interviews. I like to talk to people, but you know, the social media game that you, that you kind of are always thinking you're not doing enough at, or the speaking engagements that you feel like you could do more of, or I, I just the, all the supplementary things to get the book out there. But other than, than that, I think, I think that every stage I've loved editing, I've loved the book design, I've loved the, um, refinement, the pitch process. I, I really like the whole process and that's also been surprising. Have you had any approach to uh, the expectations of platform? I know that's one of the things that comes up like in every conversation anyone ever has. As soon as they start this process of publishing, uh, you start and you allude to it here with the promotion and social media, sort of the expectations of of platform. Um, Anything as a pastor particularly I'm interested in and how you've maybe approached that or handled those questions or tried to build that platform? Yeah, that that I think is... um that's that's a thing I think a lot of us who are writers and pastors are thinking through. I hope we're all thinking through it, right? We have to because I think if we don't, we're just going to naturally gravitate either towards like overinflation of our 
um, of our personality. Or I think we actually will undermine some of the tools given to us to promote the messages that God has on our hearts. John Perkins, you know, the civil rights uh, leader and author, he, he has a great quote about writing where he says, um, if it was worth writing, it's worth promoting. <laughs> and I, I actually think that I've tried to lean into that a little bit of like, if you really felt like you should write something, you should probably promote it. I think in addition to that, as pastors, if we really believe the gospel, um, we're going to have to accept some of the parts of our culture that might promote us as, as the, as better we get as writers and communicators. It's okay that people share our, our tweets and our articles and our sermons because they're sharing the message of Jesus. And I think counterbalancing that, um, with prayer, obvious, I mean, my goodness, we have to be in prayer. We have to be in humility. I think we have to have conversations like this and listen to podcasts like this that help us think through this stuff because we always want to weigh it out. But I, I really think we have to accept part of uh, part of that as part of our world. Um, the, the only other thing I was thinking about when you were asking that was when I got into writing, people told me there were three C's of writing. I don't know who came up with this, but like the craft, the concept, and the crowd. There's people kind of um, – they, they talk about it in different ways, but craft, concept, and, and crowd. So the crowd being your platform, I think it's okay as pastors to lean into our crafts and our concepts and let the crowd just come or, or not come. Because if you can get two out of three of those, I think you can actually find some readership, right? If you're really good at craft, you're a great writer. Concept, you come up with great ideas, um, if you get two of those three and then the crowd is just a incidental, I think focusing on those first two C's is, is, in, is a, is a good way to kind of navigate this whole platform conversation. Yeah. I think that's a, a really balanced way of thinking about it. And I, and I agree that for me, the wrestling is the, is the point. It's not, um, you know, I had that's an good. agent tell me this one time too, cause we were talking about this very thing. And he said, look, as long as you're still asking questions about it, you're on the right track. <laughs> cause that's it's good. the moment. Yeah. It's the moment that you sort of figure the thing out and it becomes a machine for you. Right. And you just, uh, yes. you, you know how to turn people into numbers and the numbers into profit. And that's where yes. the whole thing starts going wonky on you. And so the, the struggle of trying to figure out where is the right area? Where, what is faithful? You know, what am I, am I aware of my own motives? Like that's the real challenge in the process. Yes. How do you think for you, um, being a pastor has shaped you as a writer? And then in reverse, how being a writer is, is now shaping you as a pastor as well. How do those two sort of callings interact and support each other in, in sort of your world? I'm so grateful for the work of a pastor. I, I, I've heard you on your, on your podcast reference Eugene Peterson a lot. And, um, I think those of us that are, um, pastors and writers he is he is really our our elder in the process i need and, somebody by the way a listener to like keep a tally and hold me to a <laughs> quota i really try not to quote eugene peterson every single episode so but well, you're quoting me. him so i was gonna say that does not affect my quota so thanks there you go yeah it's not a, not against you <laughs> yeah i just think um he helped me see the relationship between the two so on the one hand um how has being a pastor affected my writing well it's really made my writing focused. Before, like I said, I was a writer before a pastor. So before that, it was, was writing news stories for my college paper. I was writing commentary pieces. Um, I was writing short stories. I, I was an English major, so I was interested in fiction. And um, um, every every young English major tries their hand at poetry. I was one of those as well. So I tried a lot of different 
kinds of writing. But I think when I became a pastor, it focused me to to see, and I saw this through writers like Peterson or um, Dallas Willard or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where you could you could see a pastoral vision and focus that narrowed their writing down. And um, that's to me what the pastorate has done for my writing. What the writing's done for my pastorate, I hope, is make me a better communicator and, and also um, better accessible to my congregation. I, I do think um, every time we write an email back to someone who has a theological question, we have the opportunity to, to with the power of the Spirit and our imagination and the creativity that God has given us, to practice writing. And um, I think that being a writer really helps you communicate and care for your congregation more clearly um, when you preach to view it, like I said, as a piece of writing. And so I, I see that as a way to help us care for God's church. Um, I, I love a quote I heard. I'm trying to remember who said this. To be clear is to be kind. And I, I really have seen that recently as a pastor and a writer is like, if I'm very clear in the pulpit, in an email, um, in an article that I write, I'm really being kind to God's church and I'm, I'm helping God's people know Jesus um, better. So, so I, I love that part of the work. Yeah, for me, I think, um, I think at the core of sort of those two where they overlap the most is a kind of awareness, like a, an, an attention that I'm willing to give, which I think fits well with this idea of kindness, right? Like kindness comes from an awareness, an ability to see another person. Um, and it's so easy, I feel like, especially these days for sermons to sort of turn into content, right? And like, I feel that in my sermon preparation, you feel it when the podcast is out that it's sort of like, here's this 30 to 45 minute thing, and you can listen to it and you can learn something and there's there it is, right? And it's really easy to start doing that in sort of the abstraction of content. So you know, you're one of the things I've really tried to watch myself on is I do not want to think about who will be listening to my sermon in abstraction on a podcast somewhere. I want to be thinking about the actual individuals I know by name that are in front of me when I'm preaching a sermon. But it's easy for all of this content to sort of turn into that abstract thing. And so writing for me, trying to the amount of time I've given to it, trying to pay attention to the world, pay attention to what I'm thinking, wrestle through with what you're saying, this clarity, this kindness of an actual person. Um, I think that thing is, has opened my eyes to what the sermon can be as more than just content and what writing can be as more than just content. Because there's a lot of content. What we're really all after is something something that goes beyond that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. You got me thinking about advice I got as a writer a long time ago, which was to not write for a lot of people actually to write for literally one person um, was, was, uh, was an advice I got. And I think about that with what you said about preaching of like, not, not preaching to some theoretical audience, but literally looking at the eyes of the congregation and going, this is for them because it really is for them. You know, it's, that's at, at some level, I, I wrote a piece a while ago for preaching today that was arguing actually at some point your sermon should not make sense a little bit. It shouldn't make sense to someone outside of your context and outside of your church. So I'm, I'm saying if someone listens to me on podcast from South Africa, there should be a lot they should get from it, but there should also be a level to that sermon that they don't understand because it's partic- particular to the flock that God has given me to shepherd. Yeah, I think that's really good. And and 
the ways you're saying things and the emphasis you're saying, people in your congregation are going to pick up and understand where that's coming from and why yeah. that's coming from in ways that people outside of that community just may, may go over their heads, may not notice. Um, are there ways, so we've alluded to this idea of, of craft and concept or, you know, developing the actual writing craft and then the ideas as well. Were there ways that you've been trying to intentionally develop that craft and intentionally improve the concepts? Ways as you were pastoring that you were also trying to become a better writer? Editors, for sure, um, have been, like I said, such a great gift. Um, and I, I've really learned you know, to cut the writerly ego that we all have in us down through editors. And that has made me just clearer. Um, the editing process for a book is so humbling. It goes through many cuts from many le le uh, levels of editing and they just make you better. Um, and so that's one process. Like I said, I think dedicating as much away from um, solitary publishing, even if you don't get stuff in a major publication or anything like that, could you pass your writing along to friends and say, hey, would you edit this? You know, would you take a look at this and let me know what you think and give me feedback? I think that editing, whether it's from a real professional editor or if it's from a friend who's really talented with the English language and a wordsmith, I think that helps improve your writing. I think too, with sermons, I have a I'm fortunate to have a teaching team. You know, we're not a large church, but we've assembled um, some people who are who are preachers and writers. And I preach my sermon every Thursday um, as I preach to my teaching team, and they edit it. They they take red pen to it, and that has made me a better sermon writer. Um, I think the only other thing I'd say to it is my, my brother is a, is a film critic in Los Angeles and he's a writer. He was one who inspired me to write at an early age. He's older than me. And when he was in high school, he had this sign above his desk. It just said, write every day, like write period, every period, day period. And he got that discipline when he was like young. I think he was like 16 or 17, starting to write about film, about culture. And I still see that sign in my, my mind of like, could I just write something every day, um, even if it's just really short? And so that discipline matched with that um, community editor ship is 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 to me the the way that I've tried to navigate really refining that skill. I often will point out to people too that um, these editor relationships is something you can actually hire as well. That that's kind of how oh, I got yeah. into it because I was sort of in a world where like connect with an editor like I have there were, there was no one like for all the guests I've had on the podcast like when I first yeah. was starting here I had none of those relationships I didn't personally know a writer an editor um, and honestly searching around the internet he's been a guest a couple times on the podcast is how I met Mick Silva and that relationship started by he was a freelancer and I, I get that I do some bivocational freelance work and so I paid for his time and I'd send him wow. writing and say yes. hey I want feedback and it was kind of a coaching editor relationship early on and that was immensely valuable for me and it was a sacrifice sacrifice financially, but um, mm -hmm. that was my way into it. And I, there's a lot of those. Blake Atwood's been an editor I've had on the podcast before, too. You can find those people that um, if you're just saying, hey, I've been writing and I don't know what I have here. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to move forward. You, you don't have to know somebody, right? You can, you can find really ways to get that kind of feedback, as you've alluded to, even friends or family, other people. 
Yeah, Paul Pastor, who I mentioned earlier, he he would be a great guest actually for you. Um, but he's he's an editor and and currently freelance has a couple of huge clients. But um, he, he's someone too that is a terrific writer who is available for, or and editor who's available for hire. Yeah, and oftentimes you know if you think okay, I'm not going to hire this person to edit my entire book because that can be expensive. Yeah. But I'm going to yeah. take a chapter or two and just say I want to get some early yes. feedback so that I can learn. And then and the other thing that surprised me, I hired an, um, the manuscript I have. I hired a um, an editor to do so. We did sort of a developmental edit and then actually more of a, a line edit. And uh, I was saying to the, him like, "Hey, fix the stuff." But also mm-hmm. like, I'd love to talk at the end and just what are things I could improve or like where do you see problems that are recurring over and over? I should I should get a handle on. And and he was saying how rare that is that oftentimes people don't don't take mm-hmm. advantage of those conversations. So it was really a reminder to me of. When you do get these opportunities, like just ask all the questions you can, like try yes. to try to figure out what can I, what more can I get out of this and learn from this other than, Hey, they fixed the commas for me. Well, that's, that's, I, I think you're, you're not going to say it. So I will, but you, you demonstrated a level of humility there that you have to have every person I've admired when I've asked them questions, it's been that posture that's been like, what can I do better? How can I get, it's not precious, you know, don't, don't hold it with a tight grip. Like nothing, none of our words are precious. The word is precious. Jesus is precious. And so have a sense of humor about it. Laugh about a bad sentence, laugh about a paragraph that won't make sense and, and ask those questions. Cause that is, that is, I think so essential. That's a good, good lesson. Yeah. Are there books or authors that have helped you develop as a writer? And some of those may be, you know, pastoral or, or some of them may be craft books on writing, but just people or books you would say have been influential to you in, in growing that craft? I've been deeply instructed by novelists. I'm, I'm a fiction reader, like I said, English major, um, brought up around the Catholics, so a big fiction tradition. And I, I just think that when I think about the books that have shaped me most, most is books like Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, because that has this pastoral subject in it. And she's an incredible writer. All her books are incredible. She has great essays too, nonfiction work that has deeply influenced me. Um, and then the some great writers from the 20th century, Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory is a top book for me, a novel that changed my life really. Um, Steinbeck's East of Eden, famous book, just so, so good. And I just think that some of those storytellers and just the art of a sentence is really, really important. So those books are the, are the, the voice, the kind of authoritative, but storyteller voice, um, are the books that I think I gravitate towards in the, in the Christian world. Um, and some of those, those writers, like, like I mentioned, Eugene Peterson earlier, Bonhoeffer, Dallas Willard, some of those, they're really kind of sometimes hard to read, but they're hard to read for a good reason. I, I read C.S. Lewis. He was one of, I didn't really read a Christian book till I was 17 just because of my upbringing. And one of the first guys I read was Lewis. And then I realized I had read Narnia before. I didn't really realize I was reading a Christian story. But Lewis is just, I mean, he's hes so incredible. And some of his, his work just transcends um, you know, uh, he's the kind of guy, you know, those are writers, all these people that I write, you read them and then you throw their book across the room. Cause you're like, I'll never, <laughs> never get to this level, right. but we can all aspire. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I think, I think one of the ways people go wrong is they think I'm a nonfiction writer, therefore I'm going to learn nonfiction, but I'm more and more convinced that the writing techniques of fiction writers, of good novelists 
have yeah. a huge impact on developing you as a as a, a nonfiction writer. In fact, the fiction craft books have been some of my favorite. Um, I'm, oh, really? I've been, yeah, I've been really, and I've written no. I mean, I've you know. It, you can't read a book on the craft of fiction and then not like have some note somewhere where you've like yeah, scribbled down yes. some ideas and worked on something, but nothing formally. And then I, um, um, I actually got into on audiobooks. I got listening to some craft books on film, film writing on, on writing the, uh, oh, um, and yes. one of the things that really fascinated me about them was just the amount of attention that's given to structure. And, uh, yes. I mean, some of those movies are so, the scripts are so like determined on <laughs> what happens at certain minutes into the film. And, uh, it's not that I've sort of said, okay, now I'm going to turn my nonfiction book into a script, but yeah. just the idea of thinking that seriously about how do you move a reader and what, what is the structure, the overall structure of a nonfiction book and trying to apply things like, okay, well, oftentimes novels would take a three or four act structure and how they sort of move a reader through. And what does that look like as I'm moving them through ideas and nonfiction? That stuff's been really, really helpful for me in just trying to think through how I'm presenting ideas and keeping nonfiction as something more than just, well, as we said before, content, right? Like there's some, there's yeah. some movement to it. Yes. And, and that, that I think is what you're guarding against. I think even more than just the specific things you might take from novels and from poetry, for that matter, I, I really do think it's about more of a subconscious um, drinking in that you're, you know, it's a saturation. You're just kind of being saturated in really great writing. And that's what I that's what I mean when I say I saw that in, in people like Peterson or, or Bonhoeffer, um, Tim Keller, too. These are people that have read very widely. And, and I always tell people, you know, I'm a pastor, but to learn writing from true writers, like people like that's, that's all that they do, you know, and, and read them and, and don't just read about their craft, but read their work, read their work and, and saturate yourself in it. Because I think there's some subconscious stuff that hopefully leaks out into our writing to where we're more poetic and narrative and beautiful. Yeah, Annie Dillard's book on writing was one of those early on for me that sort of like just sparked my imagination of what writing could be or is as something yeah, more fantastic. than content. That yeah. was a really important one for me as well, too. Um, well, let's do this. What advice would you have for some pastors who are maybe in this place we're talking about, maybe maybe where you described earlier, they've got a blog, they're doing some of this writing privately or thinking about it, or they're, they're becoming more and more interested in it. Advice you would have about moving forward or next steps or what that looks like to maybe take writing more seriously as a part of your vocation? Yeah, I think we've like hit on a couple of good ones. So I'll kind of summarize it. I, I think that what we were just talking about, this reading widely is something I've become increasingly passionate about and something I'm actually writing a little bit about is that pastors would read widely that they would, you know, I love hearing that you're like reading about film writing and reading Annie Dillard. And I mean, that that's the kind of stuff I, I long for us. I, I worry a little bit about some of the schools and traditions we've come from as pastors, which have been hyper. Um, I don't know. They're, they're really, um, they're mono ethnic for one reason for one thing and they're also just um they're not very broad i guess I, I don't i'm having trouble articulating it but i think if you go to bible college and christian college today you you might not read aristotle you know you might not read you know might not be forced to read russian novels by you know nabokov or dostoevsky or something like that like 
there, how can we as pastors read very widely and curiously? Like we just need to be curious in all directions. So that's, that's kind of a, I know it's kind of a vague one, but it, it's one that I would say go in a different direction. If you're going in one direction, head in a totally different direction, just read, just get out there with your mind. Um, and then I think, uh, that discipline that we were talking about earlier of just the sermon, how can you, if you're a pastor and you want to develop your writing, how can you view that piece of writing you do either every week or if you're every month or just every once in a while, how can you view that piece with incredible attention and in community? I think that's what I would tell anyone who's aspiring to be a writer is find a community. As you said, if, if you if you can invest in it and pay for it, do it. If you've got friends that you've made who are from college, who are wordsmiths, or you know one person who's a great writer, how could you not just keep your writing on the file in your computer, email it out, post it on a private um, blog page that people can jump in on, a Google Doc that people can comment on? I've just learned that discipline of keeping every piece of writing open for people to make better is a wonderful practice that can sharpen your skills. I think it's good advice. I um I hope one of the things that comes through on the podcast, and if you've listened for a really long time, um, when I first started this podcast, it was primarily about writing. And I did lots of conversations with, part of it was where I was in writing with editors yeah. and agents. And But the longer these conversations have gone on, I've, I've changed the intro to say that it's really a, a podcast about reading, writing, and the Christian life. Because I, I realize more and more that to be a writer really is to read broadly, this kind of curiosity. It's about the way you live and pay attention in your life. And and I think you're right. Like It can become, as we've talked about content, you can sort of find yourself in this small niche and read all the things that are published within that small niche and, and lose so much of what's good around you. And, uh, you know, everybody quotes Paul's, uh, when he's in Athens, sort of, you know, he's, he's referencing culture and art around him and, and sort of, he seems to be well aware of currents that are happening in the culture. But the other one that really struck me was I've been preaching through the book of Philippians with my congregation and you get to the mm. middle of Philippians and you get this great, this great little passage. Commentators will call it a poem or a hymn where Paul talks about Christ not holding his, his divinity something to be grasped or taken advantage mm. of and emptying himself and, um, they're, they're, they all recognize that there's something in this little sentence language wise that elevates it. It's, it's something poetic. It's something. Wow. And so some commentators will say, well, Paul must be quoting a hymn that we don't know about or Paul's. And maybe it's true. I could be wrong about this, but there's a part of me that wants to say, no, I think Paul just is so inspired by the thought that he reaches for his poetic abilities to try to wow. express it. There's something so moving, which is to say that. Paul is at times, at times borderline crass in his writings, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's other times where his language is so lofty that we, we almost don't know what to do. Like, is he quoting somebody? Cause it's so, there's so much there. Paul's a guy who I think knew that poetic language and felt that yes. and expressed yes. it. And his Certainly. range of writing is so wide. And, and that to me is something I want to emulate as a writer and as a pastor, not just this kind of little niche thing that I've worked out and I put it on display, but, but, writing as a way into that world of, of so much more, more thinking and more language and, and being able to have this, this, this range of tools in front of me when I come to speak about God and Christ that can go from crass to the loftiest poetic language. And, and I've, I'm able to express all of this, this Christian life and that, that range of language that Paul has. To me, that's an incredible example. And and he does it all in four chapters because everything you that's just right. mentioned he did in Philippians. 
And I do think that is not to be overlooked is um, my first relationship with the Bible was a literary relationship with it. I, I, you know, I came in as more of a English nerd and, and reader and I was reading the Bible in Catholic school and I just thought it was beautiful. And, and even to this day, I mean, when I was in seminary a number of years ago, we had to read Genesis and I, I just, I was like, I don't want to read it again. I just listened to it. And it was like a Russian novel. This is like this is a story of a family across generations with drama and murder and sex and and it's beautifully written and and comes to this provocative, interesting ending. And I was just blown away not only by the goodness of God across Genesis, but the brilliance of the writers and editors that went into that book. And so to not overlook the beauty of scripture to inspire our writing, so good. Yeah, well, maybe we could do this. Um, I love when I have some of my pastors on sometimes to ask if they would close in prayer. And maybe our prayer could be something like this. Um, there, are, there are people listening, and there are times when I would say the same thing, where the world is so overwhelming that that reading Scripture in that sort of patient and careful and interested way can just feel unachievable, right? Like there's times where mm-hmm. the pressure of life just robs us of any of that sort of curiosity or interest. And um, I, maybe our prayer would just be that God by his spirit would really just open our hearts, open our minds to seeing more and a curiosity to read more. And that in that we might just find more of sort of what he's doing in and around us and, and a faithfulness to it. Um, if you wouldn't mind, would that be something you could lead us out in prayer on? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly father, um, thinking about you as the word from the beginning and, We are so grateful, God, that you are the Logos, the epitome of all things, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're small. We're we're human beings, and yet we're created in your image. And so we have this, this dual relationship with you, Lord, where we feel insignificant in front of your might and yet incredibly significant because of your grace and your gospel. And so I pray for those listening, God, the writers, the pastors, the Christians, the non-Christians, whoever's listening to this, God, that you would fill us and lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit into truth. Your word says that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. And that's my prayer, that as we write, we would be led by your spirit to truth, that as we read, we would be led by your spirit into truth. God, as we edit, we would be led by your spirit into truth. And as we live, God, faithful Christian lives, loving you, loving neighbors, providing for the poor, being faithful to those who are closest to us, God, would your spirit lead us into all truth? We need you. And we're desperate for you to work in these ways in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Chris. Um, Really helpful conversation. What are ways, if people are interested in keeping up with the writing you're doing for um, various various places, as well as the book coming out, that they could find more information and follow you? Help build the crowd a little bit. There you go. (laughs) Well, the third scene. My website is just my name, Chris Nye. That last name is N-Y-E dot C-O. And then my Twitter handle is my name and my Instagram is my name. I, I got in early. I must have just Chris Nye. Um, See, that's, living, that's living in the Bay Area. So you had the yeah. heads up when, before the rest of us did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. So that's, I think those are the easiest ways. And then the book is available everywhere, um, published by Baker. So they've done a great job of distributing it. And so less of more. And my name is Chris Nye and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, Chase. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Congratulations on the new book and uh, looking forward to pick it up. Um, thanks again. We'll have to do this another time. I always love having people on that are passionate about talking about writing like I am. So we'll do it again. Thanks, Chase. See ya. 
As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 62. Be looking for Chris's new book, Less of More, which comes out at the end of May. Also, don't forget to take a look at the free Audible trial by going to audibletrial.com slash pastorwriter. It's easy and free to pick up one of those books on writing or pastoral ministry that Chris and I discussed in today's podcast. And if you do, again, thanks. I really appreciate you doing it as a way of supporting the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure and leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And as always, until next time. Thank you.